Hey, what is going on, everybody? My name is David, and this is Free From Missing Out, the podcast about living in a connected world. Congrats on making it to episode six. That's a lot of listening to me talk, so I really appreciate you tuning in again to hear what my humble opinion is and what I have to talk about this week. As usual, we have some quick housekeeping items to go through. First of all, if you are new to the podcast, welcome. You don't need to listen to this in any order, so if this is, if this is your first episode, feel free to keep listening, and then afterwards, go back and listen to the first five episodes where we talk through a couple other issues. If you are not new to the podcast, welcome back. I appreciate you all tuning in again. The feedback so far has been awesome. I appreciate all of your opinions and comments, and I will continue to hopefully improve as we go through this journey. But if you haven't visited Apple Podcasts yet, please go hit subscribe, drop a review. It really helps us out, and it can push us to the new and noteworthy section, which would be the goal so we can continue to grow this awesome community that we're starting to create here. Not much else on the housekeeping, but last week, just for a quick recap, we did talk about FOMO and how it's affecting all of us and what we can all do to make it a bit better. So if you haven't listened to that yet, make sure you go take a listen to that episode. I really enjoyed making it. I think it's an interesting topic and that people can benefit from listening about it. As for this week, we will be talking about religion. Now, before you turn off the podcast because you think this is going to get a little bit dicey, I want to add a disclaimer that we're not going to be talking about the pros or cons or the benefits or downsides of religion, but rather talking about religion in the sense of how it's changed over time. So how being in a connected world and how millennials are changing religion and how the structure of this whole spirituality versus religion is changing compared to history. Let me check my notes, but I don't think there's anything else. So without any further ado, let's get into that intro music I found online. So as with most podcasts on this podcast, that's a way to word it. As with most episodes on this podcast, we're going to start with the history. And I know the history of religion is incredibly long, and I had to figure out a way to narrow the focus of this as I was doing my research. So we're going to focus primarily on recent history, as in back to the 50s and 60s, and a lot of the numbers around religion. And I think the most crucial number to start with is looking at the numbers in 1966. So in 1966, about 98% of Americans surveyed believed in God. And this was a survey done by Gallup. Now, this same survey was done as recent as 2014, and that number had dropped to 86%. And that's a big gap to see in a relatively short amount of time when you're going from nearly 100% of Americans believing in God to some extent down to only 86%. And further on that number... Those people who surveyed in 2014 who were born between 1990 and 1996, i.e. the center group of millennials, only 80% of them believed in God. So you can clearly see, at least with our generation and ultimately with Americans as a whole, there's been a significant decrease in 
just the percentage of people who believe in God without even getting into the religious topic. And this doesn't account for people who went to church or what religion you were part of, just a simple question, does God exist? So we're going to start examining this decline. You'll see a trend with these numbers here as we look back in history, but it's all going to come back to this question about why. Why is this all changing? What is, is the culture changing? Are people changing? And that's what we really want to examine today as we look into this issue. But before we get into that, we need to hammer out some more numbers here because I looked up all these numbers and by God, I'm going to share all of them. So on top of the people who believe in God, we talked about those percentages, Christianity itself has also declined. So in 1948, I think this was Pew, but in 1948, 91% of people identified as Christian, 78% identified as Christian in 2017, and 70% in 2014. So that's an 8% decline in just three years, with a total of nearly 30% decline over that period since 1948. And that's a significant difference, and you can see it's exponential in a sense that a lot of that change has happened just within the past three to five years. And we'll have some more numbers here in a second, but to spoil the surprise a bit, pretty much every metric measurable is down in terms of church attendance, in terms of overall religious practicing. Almost every number has declined since the 1950s and 60s. But getting away from the numbers for a bit, I think it was crucial when I was looking into this issue about how we start identifying what place the church held in the community in the 50s and 60s in American life. And when we look at the church, at least what I've seen from reading about it and talking to my own family members, the church was a sense of community. And I think it still symbolizes that, but we'll talk about today later. But at least back in recent American history, the church was the place of community. Not being able to be connected easily through social media or other means the church was the common place where people could go and talk with everyone to see their neighbors, to see their friends, because such a large portion of the country was actively practicing religion. And when you listen to people talk about their experience at church, it was a place of equality. And I'm going to add in the caveat, I know that the church has also been a source of incredible amounts of injustice and discrimination towards groups of people, But ignoring that time set and ignoring that whole dark side of it, it was seen by those who were included as a place of community, a place where you could go and not talk about your wealth or it didn't matter if you were a millionaire or poor, everyone was seen as equal and that you showed up in nice clothes and it was a sense of community unless you weren't liked by the church. And this sense of community can be seen also when you look at marriage. So back in 1960, Only 19% of people were in religiously mixed marriages, i.e. the husband was a Muslim and the wife was a Christian, or vice versa, or any mixture. It was only 20% of people. That number is close to 40% now, according to, this was all according to Pew as well. So you can see how people not only found communities and friendships within this, you know, within the church, but also found a lot of their love interests in that commonly people were marrying people of the similar religion because it was such a crucial part of their life. Also now there's more atheists marrying religious people and religious people marrying atheists. This was much less common back in the 60s because, one, more people were part of religious communities, but also those who were part of religious communities didn't see the value in marrying someone who wasn't part of it because they were seen as someone who didn't have the same ideals or 
characteristics, I guess, and vice versa. Those who were atheists were more devout atheists in that they denounced all parts of religion rather than what I think the modern atheist has become. But going back to the connection about the sense of community, it went past that. Religion was not just a sense of community, and your church was not just a place to meet friends and see everyone on an equal playing field, but it became a part of normal life. It was a you know, a part of who we are as a nation, as well as the family household. Sunday, if you just talk to your parents, Sunday became an event. It was get dressed up, put on your nicest clothes, wear your suits, wear your dresses. We're going to go to church. And that was your daily event. In contrast to that with today, very few services operate under that structure. And so in just the simplest sense, you can see how the church has changed from this formal occasion-like atmosphere to much more nonchalant now and, quote, come as you are. And obviously, in addition to how it was a formalized event and a big part of American life, it was also part of a big part of American government and war and all these things interplayed together, even though there's separation of church and state. It can clearly be seen that there's not a practice of actually separating it, and many political motivations are derived from religion and these communities. But that I think that's unavoidable when you have 98% of the population believing in God and upwards of, what was it, 91% of Americans being identifying themselves as Christian. I think it's impossible to avoid that part of American life being brought into government. And while religion was also so intertwined in our structure of American life and also the world, Religion has also been a catalyst for change. So while it's also a sense of community, it's also been one of the biggest drivers historically for any major change, whether it's the founding of the Americas or the drive for exploration when the, Purit- when the Puritans broke away from the Church of England and sought religious freedom here. Um, we'll ignore all the capitalist and other motivations for exploring the Americas, but there was a main driver of religious community in setting up and being free from persecution and bring that even more recent to preachers being the one of the most adamant pushers of abolishing slavery to the civil rights to modern day movements a lot of change has been driven with religion being the main source and with the change that religion was driving religion itself was also undergoing periodic changes not only in its inclusion policies, but also the types of people it would accept and the teachings that it would promote. We were no longer caught in just living with how religion was structured in the 30s and 40s, but adapting as society was being pushed forward. And along with that, the mediums through which religion was being delivered were also undergoing serious change. And I'm not talking yet about social media or the internet, but even before this, back to radio and TV. And while radio was introduced first and it did become a commonplace for you'd hear religious commentary and, you know, I guess the equivalent of a televangelist, but for radio, just a broadcaster, I guess, you'd hear that a lot on the radio, but it wasn't changing the movement. It wasn't taking a lot of members away from the church or starting this whole new coalition of religious followers on radio. What did see a huge impact was the advent of TV. And while public TV was being used and adopted as early as the 30s, you didn't see a large presence of religion until about the mid-50s. 
But once religion did hit, hit TV, you started to see dozens and dozens of televangelists. And this wasn't the typical messages. You weren't seeing, you were seeing some of the traditional services and people were trying to promote typical religious communities on television. But you were also seeing a rise in this new wave of worshiping, where a lot of these televangelists weren't tied to any specific religion. They were really promoting their own message. And a lot of them weren't under any sort of regulation, really. There was no regulation on finance or what they could say. So really, they were able to promote whatever type of message or non-religious material they wanted to show to their audience, they could. And this prompted a lot of pushback from the religious community because these churches started seeing it as not really a church on TV, but rather a completely separate, I guess, movement that was guising itself under religion and using that as a tool to connect to people. And I think there was some merit to this because some of these, I guess, criticisms culminated in about in 2007, Chuck Grassley, he's a U.S. senator, actually opened investigations into six prominent televangelists. These were open initially because of all the financial wealth these people seem to be accumulating, while at the same time promoting almost scam-like schemes to their listeners. They were being told to be, they were promised prosperity and wealth as long as they follow these teachings, which involved also giving donations to the televangelist. So you have televangelists with Rolls Royces and private jets and no oversight from either the religious community or financial institutions. Now, this ultimately didn't amount to much. The investigations ended up being just found that we need to do more investigations. And ultimately, I think it kind of died. The question this does raise is, was this the beginning of the decline? Was televangelism, where millions were tuning in to TV to listen to people preach, was that driving a decline in attendance to church and adherence to strict religious policies? I'm not sure. I did research, and I can't find any clear evidence linking televangelism to a decline in any main religious activity. But that doesn't say it doesn't exist, in that there were churches that claimed televangelism was taking people away from traditional religious communities. And I think there's a logical connection that can be made as if there's millions of people tuning in online, or not online, on TV, around the same time that traditional services are happening, you have to, in the end, be losing some individuals to this new medium of consuming religious content. So this brings us to the religious environment today. We're going to start examining where religious communities sit, how the church is presented, and what our generation is doing that's driving this change within the spiritual and religious communities. So, of course, I'm going to bring back the numbers. Starting off with that 33% of adults under the age of 35, i.e. the millennial generation and well, part of Generation Z, but I don't care about them yet, are saying they're unaffiliated with any religion. So this actually forms the second largest religious group if you lump all the people together who don't believe in anything as a group, which is higher than it's ever been historically of having, you know, it's been unheard of before that this many people would not identify with any religion. Not just that we're switching religions, but that we don't believe in any of them. Along with this, we're seeing a rise in people identifying as spiritual, but not religious. And I think this is the key distinction that we're going to have to hammer on as we go through the rest of what's going on in today's modern man, man, I almost said manscape, in today's modern landscape, because there's a 
clear distinction between spirituality and religion that I think that's what's separating millennials from that traditional religious community. I don't know if it's as clear cut as that. I think we need to dig in a bit more. What I do know is that this rise in spirituality is also leading to a rise in the spirituality industry. Because where there's people believing something, you got to know there's a company who's going to make a product for it. So the spirituality industry, which encompasses everything from self-help classes to mentors to books to creams and ointments, that's worth alone $13 billion a year. And separate from that, the yoga industry is worth nearly $30 billion a year with 20 million practitioners. And all these areas link back to millennials and a younger generation's desire to connect spiritually with something, but not necessarily religion. Because while this has grown, religion's on a decline. And you can see this shift happening everywhere. Even simple things, you're as likely to see a yoga studio and meditation area in an airport or hotel as you are to see Bibles or prayer areas or in church. And that says something. It says they know what the clientele is looking for and they know what people today are trying to purchase. Along with this, along with everything we've talked about from how spirituality is on the rise, the medium through which all this is happening is obviously changing as well. You know, in the past episodes, we've talked about social media and we've talked about phones and the internet. Religion and spirituality aren't immune from that. Our phones are allowing us to connect with our, I guess, whatever you want to call it, spirituality or religion. It's allowing us to connect anywhere. We can meditate. We can download an app and start doing yoga anywhere we want. We can share our faith and connect with Bible verses and other people at any time. And people are doing it. Pew Research found that 20% of people share their religion or faith once a week at least. So social media is not just a platform for which people are communicating and finding each other, but also a platform that religion and spirituality are being broadcast on. And churches know this. As I say with everything, people aren't stupid. People see these changes and they're adapting to them. Churches are changing their structure and how they work and using social media to attract millennials, and partially it's working. So the Kansas City Star, I don't know if you ever heard of that paper, but they did an interview with Amor D. Stevenson, and he's a pastor of a church in, I'm guessing, Kansas, who's only 21 years old. And when he became the pastor, he implemented a lot of drastic changes. So this church was very traditional in the sense that it was wear a suit. You wore your formal attire to church, and we also started early. We had very long services and very formal songs and teachings. So the first thing he did when he became the pastor is implemented a lot of different policies that people weren't used to. So now you could, it was a come-as-you-are church, meaning you didn't have to wear a suit or a formal attire. You could show up in what you were wearing at any point of the day. On top of this, services were pushed to later in the day to account for people waking up later and also made shorter. And that wasn't it. They also adopted the music and the songs to not be so old-fashioned and traditional, but rather more upbeat. And the chorus was a bit more, I don't, know, I don't want to say lively, but it wasn't focused so much as in traditional songs as communicating a positive message. And this worked. Well, not initially, but it did work. 
So initially you saw that the church actually decreased by over half. But then within a year, it had rebounded to almost three times the amount of people that were initially part of the congregation. And the biggest statistic, at least in relation to this podcast, is that most of this congregation was under the age of 35. Meaning that this targeting, this changing of the tired structure of religion, was attracting a younger generation and a younger crowd to the church. Now, I know one story doesn't dictate the entire outcome or the entire situation that we're experiencing as a, as a country and as a whole generation. But these stories aren't alone. They're not isolated incidents. You can find these stories all over the internet about churches reaching out for social media or changing their service types or changing the time even just to be later in the day. And that has all successfully attracted more millennials back to churches. So it seems as though the tired structure of religion was scaring a lot of our generation away. And as we're starting to adopt new teachings and start shifting religion in a more, I guess, I don't know what sense it's shifting towards, but religion is shifting. The messages aren't as traditional. We're not so focused on, you know, I'll use this church again as an example. They weren't so focused on abstinence as being the only teaching that a church should do in regards to sex, but rather focus on couples and promoting positive attitudes towards these things and realistic teachings. And I think that's hitting home with a lot of our generation who does a lot of our research online isn't very informed about things because it doesn't feel so disconnected. The church doesn't feel as though it's out of touch, but rather can add on to our own personal experiences. As with anything that changes, there's people who don't like it. And that's unavoidable. I think you always are going to have traditionalists who have been practicing this religion for tens or decades and they're not going to be happy with the change. They're not going to be happy with shifting more towards an open, not as so structured religious policy. But I think that argument is, the other argument that's valid is that this is no different than any prior religious shift when religion has changed its messaging, whether it was when religion shifted away from discrimination, when it was being used as a club to justify discrimination by saying private religious schools could not, could legally not allow black students because they were private. That shifted, and this is no different than any other shift in religion, so ultimately I have to think it's going to happen and bring the same positive aspects that prior shifts have brought. And I think that is a perfect segue into the best part of the podcast, my opinion on all this, what I think it means for our generation, and how I think we can benefit from it, because I want there to be a good message at all these podcasts. I want it to drive some sort of change or thought within this community. So let's dig into what I think about all this. My first conclusion that I come to after reading all this about how the church has changed and how social media has become more prevalent is that people need a community. People have always needed that sense of belonging to something. And our generation, I think, is struggling to find that. While in the past, there wasn't a social media or this whole plethora of online communities to be a part of, Church was an easy way to connect with people, to see your neighbors, your friends, your family, all in one place, all at a certain time, and you felt a part of something. And I think our generation has started to replace a lot of our real-life communities with online communities, with social media, that there's no need to see what's going on in everyone's lives because we, are, we already see it. And that's only one half of it I know. I know that while we need a community, 
we also need fulfillment and self-reflection. We do desire answers, and people do have, you know, the spirituality levels that we were talking about previously are on the same levels as religious beliefs. People still believe in something out there, and even atheists are now attributing their belief to that something does exist, that the awe, they are in awe of what the world is and what is created more than atheists were in the past. I think we are still coming to terms with how do we replace what the church has offered previously? And previously, it's filled a lot of roles. It was the point where people would go to think about their place in the community, how all the pieces felt together, what Jesus means to each of us, and what religion as a whole, whether it's Jesus or any other God you believe in, how it drove change and how it drove people to be positive members of society. That's what church used to offer on top of the community aspect, on top of it feeling like you were learning something each time. That gave people value. And I think our generation has, one, become disconnected with that message that we no longer believe that is what the purpose of going to church is, but we're still trying so hard to replace that, whether it's being part of a yoga studio or a meditation group or an online forum. You can see our generation having the same type of outreach and feeling the sense of belonging to different communities that just aren't the church. I think also as we come to terms with what the church is, a lot of us are still separated by past sins that the church has committed. And there's a plethora of them from mass genocide to discrimination. I think that still sits in some people's minds along with more recent sins that the church has committed and that it does discriminate against certain groups of people. And it's hard to separate yourself from that, that even though you might be part of a good church and a progressive church, you're still connected with a larger community. And I think some of our generation does look down on religion, which isn't fair. It's not fair to look down on someone to bring being part of a particular community, especially when that community is drastically changing their message. And a lot of what is happening now, I think is a really good thing. Now, while we may not be the generation who has turned into, who are tuning into televangelists on a weekly basis, we are the generations tuning into social media personalities on a daily basis or an hourly basis even. And we're turning to them for horoscopes and online advice and self-help. And they are becoming the televangelists. I think you see a lot of the rise in what I referenced to in the, what was it? How to make money, I think, of these get-rich-quick things, this whole prosperity, or whether it's even that, or whether it has to do with money, or working out, or um, I'll call it spirituality. A lot of these people promise all these great things, and they make money off of it. So while it might not be televangelism, our generation is creating this new area of social media where everyone is now a self-help expert, or able to offer advice on a particular subject. The irony is also not lost on me that while I talk about this whole online community of offering advice, I'm also giving a podcast with my opinion on how we can benefit from this. But I hope you don't think that's what this is. I don't ever think I have a message that I'm trying to push on someone, but rather just my take on the facts that we've gone through. But that's neither here nor there. I think as a whole, as a generation, we do need to be somewhat skeptical the same way we're being taught to be skeptical of promises made on TV by televangelists, we do need to be skeptical of promises made on social media, of who we're tuning into, who we're subscribing to, who we're buying stuff from because of promises they've made to us or things they've made us feel. And people are, online communities are cashing in the same way churches have in the past by making you feel as though you're part of community. 
is the same thing that social media influencers do as a part of their community. They have names for their community. They have you know online places you can go. They have meetups. That is satisfying our generation's need to be a part of something. And it all plays back into that's what the same thing the church benefited from is this sense of belonging. So all of this does come full circle. You're seeing how it might not be religion, but while spirituality is on the rise, people will always cash in on that just as churches have in the past. And finally, I think millennials and we are looking for a different message. I think a lot of us see religion as being focused on a community aspect and our place within the religion rather than figuring out just what the hell is going on with my life. And as we talked about in the quarter-life crisis, a lot of us are going through our own crises right now, whether it's with identity or where we are in our careers or our love life, and we want someone to talk to us about that. And that's where we can go to the internet and find help, but I don't know if a lot of us see the church as that place. And while some churches and congregations, like we talked about, are shifting this and shifting the message of religion back towards the individual, I'm not sure if our generation is there yet because we ver- we are very individualistic. I will talk about this on a future podcast because I'm very interested in how our generation is very focused on ourselves, for better or for worse. But we do want this message to be back to our problems. And while the community is important and it's impactful, a lot of us just want answers to what the hell we need to do next. And we want real guidance on that. So as the church starts to provide this more, I think you will see a shift that millennials become okay with religion. But it's going to take on a whole new flavor. It is going to shift and it's going to change. And that's not a bad thing. I don't think this is all a bad scenario of religion is dying and we need to save it. Or there's some call to action there because I don't think that's true. I think while religion decreases, you see the rise in other groups and communities who offer similar benefits. I think the biggest mistake comes when you think one is better than the other. When you start saying that religion is bad or organized religion is terrible because of X, Y, and Z, but this community that I'm a part of is great because all we do is good. I don't think those two are, it's not a zero-sum game where in order for yours to be a good community, someone else's community has to be bad. And as religion shifts and changes into fit the modern world, We as a generation need to be the catalyst for that, for pushing these organizations towards a positive place. Now, this applies to every organization, not just religious institutions, but online communities as well. We should expect more from our influencers. We should expect more from communities and yoga, even yoga studios. We should expect more from everything that's a part of that's preaching any type of message. And I don't mean to call yoga studios out there. If you're not, if your yoga studio is just you go in, hang out with friends and do yoga, that's fine. But once things start preaching a message and once we are seeking them out because it makes us feel better or helps us in a certain way, we should expect more. We should expect more from these communities that we dedicate our time and interest to. But I think that's about all for today. I don't think I have much more to touch on, but let me know your thoughts on this podcast. I think religion is a very broad topic and I think we could go down this rabbit hole for a very long time about the pros and the cons and everything that's been done with religion. But I thought it was interesting to examine how it exists in a in this connected world. But I hope you all enjoyed. I will catch you all back here next week. I'll try and get our podcast out this week, hopefully before Sunday. Um, but if not, I'll catch you all next time. See you.